You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, we've got a lot coming on today's program. There's green on the screen in the grain markets. We'll dig into those details with Darren Newsom, Senior Analyst at Bar Chart, here in just a moment. And then in segment two, Teresa Deutschman of DTN Weather will be joining us. We're going to look ahead to the forecast over the next week. We're going to talk about what happened this past weekend up in the northeast part of the United States. And then in segment three, we're going to dig into diesel technology. Alan Schaefer, the executive director of the Diesel Technology Forum, will be joining us. There is a big announcement today as to the amount of clean-burning diesel engines on the road. And Alan's going to talk to us about that technology and that industry as they plan ahead for the future. Before we get to all of that, however, let's dive into the these commodity markets. Darren Newsom of Bar Chart joins us now. And Darren, to my eyes, it looks like the big mover to start the week here are soybeans. What's the news? Yeah, it certainly is, Mike. Um, it's interesting to watch because they, they seem to pull corn higher overnight. And, you know, what we've basically seen is the soybean market erased Friday's losses. And so, you know, so many times, you know, this, this is what happens when we get to this time of year. We see traders positioning ahead of a weekend based on forecasts. And then when we come out of that weekend, say Sunday night through Monday morning, they actually they, they start trading what actually happened as far as rain falling and this sort of thing. So it looks like at least at first glance, there was some disappointment in the rain coverage and rain amounts over much of the Midwest this past weekend. That being said, you know, it'll be interesting to hear what Teresa has to say in the next segment. But, you know, forecasts, you know, at least extended forecasts right now still look favorable so at some point here Monday morning, I would not be surprised to see, you know, the mentality switch over. OK, we we traded what happened this weekend. Now let's start looking at forecasts again. All right, Darren. Well, as we get back into forecast, of course, a lot of times we can see markets assume their range. We've got soybean traders with a lot of them having new balance sheets following the mm -hmm. USDA acreage report. Are we establishing a new range in the November soybean contract? Yeah, we, yeah it's going to be interesting because, you know, from a technical point of view, last week we saw no complete a bearish spike reversal. Now, these aren't my favorite type of reversal patterns. They're not the most reliable. And usually what they're followed is with a, is with a quick reversal to the upside uh, to see if they can test the previous high. So I think that's something like 1391 and three quarter from last week. So we'll see after we close 1317 and three quarter, you know, how much how much up it has this week, uh, how much buying momentum it could find. And then, you know, what we've what, you know, the latest CFTC commitments, traders report legacy futures only showed non-commercial traders had started liquidating uh, their net longs in both soybeans and corn. And what was interesting in both was that the majority of the activity done was adding new short positions and not as much covering longs. And so what this tells me is that they're not afraid of these markets, particularly on the corn side. It was more of an even split in soybeans. So. We'll have to see if they change their minds immediately, if weather forecasts or changes in weather forecasts uh, make them change their mind as far as the positions they want to hold. But as of now, it doesn't look like they're that nervous, regardless of what acres were. Darren, on that commitment of traders reports, we hear a lot of conversation about that early in the week. It's released mm -hmm. by the CFTC on Friday. So then, of course, Monday comes. We, we all like to talk about it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned legacy futures only when you're analyzing it. Well, mm -hmm. Why do you look at it just the legacy futures? Can you talk us through the distinctions? Yeah, the, the mistake most folks make is that they like to talk about the aggregate because it takes into account futures and options. But what we have to remember is that option traders trade for, position themselves for a lot of reasons besides bullish and bearish. They may have a futures position on and they may establish options positions just as a hedge against those futures positions. Also, real trade, uh, real options traders know all of the Greeks involved uh, with options. They're looking for opportunities for arbitrage and all of these things. It has nothing to do with whether or not they think the market's going up or down, whether or not options are overpriced or underpriced. And so there's a lot of there's a lot that goes into options. And so you can't necessarily you don't necessarily get a read on bullishness or bearishness that everyone wants to talk about, but you can in the futures position. So it's very simple. If you just look at fu uh, the futures legacy only, excuse me, legacy futures only, 
It's not perfect because of the classifications of the traders, but it gives you an idea. Uh, it can confirm usually what we've already seen play out in the futures market. And that's really the only that's really the only reason to talk about CFTC anyway, is that it does confirm what we've already seen, what we've already talked about. All right. So be watching those legacy futures only numbers mm -hmm. on that report. Darren, let's talk about the corn market. We've seen that December dance around that $5 mark. We're back mm -hmm. up to it today. What, from a technical perspective, are you watching here as some levels of support in this December corn market? It was it was fascinating to me last week is, you know, we were so close to completing again, another bullish spike reversal on its on its weekly chart, but came up one tick short. The, the sell off late Friday was enough to take it. So it just didn't quite complete that reversal pattern. Still could this week. But what I'm really watching is the long term monthly chart. And if we close over that four ninety four and three quarter the June settlement, then we've got a possible then what we could say is that the, the long term trend has turned up. Now, it's going to get interesting because if we see that, we're saying, okay, the technical picture is now more bullish, but fundamentally, the market is less bullish than it has been. Everyone's looking at the weather. It looks like El Nino is moving in. It looks like it's going to be favorable. We've got more acres. We've got less demand. So now we're going to have a real fight on our hands between the possibility of more bullish technical patterns and more bearish fundamentals. And, you know, Newsom's rule number six, fundamentals win in the end. We'll see. How, we'll have to see how that plays out over time. Fundamentals win in the end, Darren. One of the fundamentals we've talked about this growing season has been the massive crop coming out of Brazil. Mm -hmm. Have we seen the market price in the export expectations for that five billion bushel corn crop down there? You know, I think we're in the process of seeing it. You know, certainly we saw the Dece March spread uh, last week move out of the bullish category, just beyond the bullish threshold of 33% calculated full commercial carry. So, you know, there's some there's some factors starting to really weigh basis has been softening here for the old crop market as well so we're getting our indications that yes you know there is a lot more emphasis being put on what uh you know what brazil raised as far as a crop but it also could act as a template if the us does move into a el nino if we are actually in an el nino right now we saw the effects that that weather pattern had on brazil's production now let's see what it can do up in north america maybe we have Record production of corn here in the United States. Hard to say. It is hard to say. Weather's going to drive so much in this season ahead. Darren, looking over at the cattle market to start the week does not appear to be a whole lot of energy one way or the other. Things are green to start off. Where do you see the cattle market going this week and what news are you watching to impact it? You know, the, the cattle market still has this feel like it's a bit top heavy. Uh, we've seen boxed beef kind of starting to weaken a little bit. We've moved past uh, the key seasonal buying time for grilling season. Uh, and so that so that demand could start to slow down a bit. And if if boxed beef continues to weaken a little bit every day, then I think you're going to start to see the cash market. And if the cash market weakens, then I think live cattle futures are going to follow. Feeder cattle are a bit tougher call. I know there's a lot of folks wanting to buy them in here. Uh, but again, there is this relationship between corn, soybeans, if corn rallies, excuse me, corn and feeders, if corn rallies, it's going to be hard to take feeder cattle higher right now. But on its own fundamentals, I think we've also kind of run the we've kind of run the course right now for feeder cattle and they need to pull back a little bit. Pull back, consolidate, let the market get a sense. Folks, we've been talking with Darren Newsom, senior analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, as always, thanks for joining us here on AOA. Thanks so much for having me on, Mike. Folks, stick around. We'll be checking in with Teresa Deutschman of DTN Weather with a look at the forecast here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. On the first Wednesday of every month, we sit down with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association for a segment we call the Monthly Grind. We like to look into the uses for that corn crop once it leaves your farm. Joining us this week for the Monthly Grind, we're going to be talking with Troy Schneider of Colorado and Denny Vinacotter, corn grower from Ohio. Troy, I understand you've got a road trip coming up in the next couple of weeks. Where are you headed? Not only myself, but about 100 other team members from the seven action teams at National Corn Growers Association will be going to Washington, D.C., July 6th. 
17th through the 20th for Corn Congress. The 17th and 18th, we have action team meetings. And the 19th, we'll be going to the Hill to visit legislators. And then on the 20th, we will have Corn Congress where we conduct business twice a year. Denny, no doubt you'll be talking about the Consider Corn Challenge. Can you fill us in? So we have 20 entries in it, biomaterial products, different technologies that will use corn in a different way than animal feed. Thank you, Denny and Troy. Folks, learn more at ncga.com and tune in July 18th for the next Monthly Grind. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and next we're going to turn our eyes skyward with a look at the forecast with Teresa Deutschman of DTN Weather. Teresa, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Before we get to the forecast and what's coming here in the week ahead, Teresa, I saw some pretty severe weather outbreaks over this weekend, notably up in the northeast part of the U.S., some flooding up in New York. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, they definitely had some heavy rain up there and some issues with flooding this past weekend. Any chance that's uh, going to abate here as the week gets started? Boy, I don't know. Um, They're already still in a risk for some more flooding here this week. Um, just taking a look at, you know, five-day rainfall totals here expected over the next five days, uh, portions of the northeast could see upwards of three to four inches of rain. So so that uh, wet pattern up there is looking to not really go anywhere anytime soon. No, I should say not. That would be coming down on top of already saturated soil. So listeners, if you're up in that part of the country, do be careful here over the next couple of days. But Teresa, I understand there was also some severe weather events that happened over the southern plains. You were focusing on some ones in Oklahoma. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I just uh, watching a few storms roll through Oklahoma here this weekend, uh, mainly Saturday morning. They had a storm complex go through and it actually dropped some decent rainfall too as it went through. Uh, some areas around central Oklahoma saw up to two to three inches of rain out of this. Um, but along with that rainfall, they did have some severe wind gusts roll through, saw some reports up to 60 to 70 mile per hour wind gusts as that storm complex moved through. Oh, wow. That is frustrating. And I know growers in that southern Kansas, Oklahoma area have been working to get their winter wheat crop out of the ground, and they've been facing challenges from recent rainfall. Teresa, as you look for the week ahead in that southern plains area, 
Do you think they're going to have a shot for some dry weather to get that crop out of the field? Yeah, yeah. This week down in the Southern Plains, they're looking a little bit more drier than they have recently. Um, still some chances for rain here throughout the week. Uh, we are watching a cold front move down um, from the north central U.S. that'll drop through the Corn Belt as well. Um, but really, uh, the main thing we're going to be watching in the Southern Plains this week is the heat. Uh, it's really going to start to warm up here across Texas. Uh, they already have some heat advisories out across the southern two-thirds of Texas here this morning. Uh, we were watching some heat index values that could approach 110 degrees Fahrenheit here today into this week. Wow. And that I know that region has been experiencing some severe heat for the better part of the last two weeks, Teresa. How far north could this heat wave push as the week goes on? Yeah, so really, I don't think it's going to push much outside of those uh, southern plains, really. Uh, we've got some cooler air that'll be dropping down into the north central U.S. that'll kind of keep a lot of that warmth from sliding too far north. All right. Well, that cooler air coming in, Teresa, as we think about the crop that's growing in the field here, particularly across the northern Corn Belt, it has been dry for growers across the bulk of this season, but it has also been cooler. And that combination might have helped protect some of the yield. That cooler air you mentioned coming down from the northern plains, how far south is that going to push here over this week? Yeah. So right now, uh, you know, a lot of the bullseye of those uh, cooler temperatures are going to be across the Dakotas, uh, but we could actually see those near to slightly above or slightly below normal temperatures creep into Nebraska and even as far south as Kansas. All right. Any chance these cooler weathers are going to bring increased moisture chances as well to that part of the U.S.? Oh yeah, for sure. We are watching uh, a decent cold front drop south across the north central U.S. this week. Could drop some decent amounts of rainfall uh, as scattered showers and thunderstorms are in the forecast for them through uh, Thursday of this week. Right now, uh, I would say the main areas seeing the most amounts of rainfall will be eastern Nebraska, eastern Kansas, uh, southern half of Iowa and then uh, Missouri and even into Illinois. Okay, so the folks in Missouri finally going to get a drink down that way. Teresa, do you see any change to that pattern that's keeping Missouri so dry here this year? Um, not really. You know, this week uh, this is going to be their, their biggest potential here for rainfall. Um, as we go into next week, though, things will start to dry out a little bit more. Uh, we've we've got a little bit better for potential there for high pressure moving in next week. But uh, this week will definitely be a wet week for them. All right. Might be seeing some moisture. Be good news for cattle producers who have been watching those pastures just get crispy across central and northern parts of Missouri here the past couple of weeks. Teresa, you mentioned that potential moisture could work its way into Illinois. It's got me curious about the eastern Corn Belt. Drought focus has sort of gripped the market. Do they look at the crops in the east, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, and eastward? Is that moisture going to push all the way that far east? Yeah, so we are watching that cold front. It'll still drop down into the eastern Corn Belt this week. However, they're not going to see quite as much in the way of rainfall as as those states that are farther west. Um, right now, we're looking at rainfall totals uh, through Friday of this week, generally approaching a quarter to three quarters of an inch across the eastern Corn Belt. Not going to rule out some isolated higher spots uh, that could approach up to one inch of rain by Friday. So uh, a little bit of relief there for some farmers, but uh, overall not looking to be quite as wet as uh, places there in Missouri. Okay, now I'm guessing with those systems that are pushing their way east, Teresa, it's still summer. I imagine the severe weather threat exists with those storms. Oh yeah, yep. We're watching um, some severe thunderstorms here even today across much of the central plains into West Texas and even into the upper Midwest as as that cold front kind of starts to dive dive south here uh, and then that focus for severe weather shifts even further south into uh, Iowa, Missouri, Illinois by Tuesday and then uh, we do see that shift there on Wednesday as well that'll start to get into uh, the eastern Corn Belt.
Okay. All right, Teresa, this this severe weather cluster that could fire up to start the week on Monday. A lot of folks looking at that are going to remember just two short weeks ago, a thunderstorm cluster in that part of the country blew into a derecho that stretched across Iowa, Missouri, Illinois, Ohio, or, you know, Indiana and down into Kansas. Is, is there the potential risk of a derecho still this week? Is that something we can plan for when you're looking at these forecasts? As of right now, I would say not quite as, uh, you know, spot on forecast for a derecho happening with these storms. I think it'll be a lot more scattered in nature. We're not really seeing models uh, hinting at lines of storms coming through. So I would I would tend to say not as not as good of a shot at seeing a derecho with this stuff here this week. All right. Well, that is definitely a relief. I think we've had enough derecho headlines here for 2023. Teresa, let's look out a little bit longer term here over the summer. We've got that El Nino transition taking place. Does does the do the folks at DTN Weather still expect that to bring more moisture to the northern plains as we get deeper into the year? Yeah, yep. Still looking at potential for some consistent rainfalls here into the fall. That'll definitely help uh, keep these crops going here as they get into their reproductive stages here. So um, definitely still looking at El Nino here uh, through through this fall. All right. Still seeing it develop. And my other question, of course, when we talk about El Nino, we've got the U.S. impact certainly drives the markets, Teresa. But we've also got that South American impact that can move the markets as well. Can you bring us up to speed as to what's happening across South America? Is Brazil experiencing any troubles this time of year? Yeah, so really this week, um, we are just, our focus is on southern Brazil. They're going to get a little bit wet here this week. Uh, fairly potent low pressure system that'll move through uh, during uh, the middle of this week here and could dump up to one to three inches of rain in spots there for them. So, oh, wow. And this would be, of course, harvest is still going on down there, I'd imagine, in southern Brazil, correct? Yes, that is correct. So this will halt a little bit of their progress down there as we go through the middle of this week, and hopefully they can start to dry out a little bit more by next week. All right. Might see that pause in harvest. Might slow down some of the movement of that massive corn crop to the ports there in Brazil. Teresa, as you look out in the Pacific northwestern part of the U.S., anything in this next week our listeners in that region ought to be watching out for? Um, really, it's it's going to be a little bit more on the drier side for them out there, but we are going to start to see some heat ramp up there for them this week. All right, folks, heat is coming. It is still summertime, of course, not just in the central part of the U.S., but everywhere. Teresa Deutschman has been joining us today from DTN Weather. Teresa, thank you so much for sharing your insight and filling us in on what to expect here in the week ahead. Yes, thanks for having me on. And folks, stick with us. We'll be back with more AOA in just a moment. We're going to dig into the technology that's moving diesel trucks cleaner than they ever have before. Alan Schaefer of the Diesel Technology Forum will join us when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up join us every tuesday for around the table brought to you by chs as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities each week we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system from global market access to local expertise we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Why do you listen? You get the local news and the weather is up to date all the time. Oh, I love sports. It's good to hear what's going on because you can't make it to all the games. I listen from 8 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock at night. It moves with me. It's portable. It goes with me. It's in my car. I can find my mood. I can flip through stations up and down the dial. There's always something that's talking to me. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Well, as we look at what's going on in Monday's market trade, we see a soy complex that has surged higher in the overnight, and that has continued into Monday's day session. 20 to 30 cent gains in soybeans, moderate strength in bean meal and bead oil as well as we get going with our trading week. Now, on the case of corn, slightly higher, mainly up around a nickel across the board in the corn market, while wheat trade pushing a little bit higher with some double-digit strength popping into the Kansas City wheat and spring wheat trade. Some weather concerns in spring wheat country with dryness and not much rain in the forecast. And really, again, rain is going to be the big storyline here on top of a USDA report coming up on Wednesday. We are expecting additional improvement in the U.S. corded soybean crop ratings Monday afternoon and the weekly crop progress report. Very mild temperatures continuing across much of the Midwest. However, the week two outlook warms up and dries out as the corn crop moves deeper into pollination. That's something traders are going to be watching closely. Heading into Wednesday and beyond, the soybean balance sheet has zero margin for error following USDA's shocking acreage reduction on June 30th, although the rise in price is certainly changing Brazilian farmer planting decisions for the coming season as well. We have some crop stress concerns in China that the trade is going to be watching as well. And of course, Wednesday, the July WASDE report be interesting to see any of the numbers, if there are changes from USDA or not that have big impacts on the grain trade. Over in livestock, we'll call it steady to firm there with cattle and hogs trading a little bit higher to start off the week. Overall, fairly quiet start to the week. Box beef has been under pressure in this cattle market, and that is the one storyline being watched closely. Crude oil just slightly lower. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and we're going to turn our focus next to a technology that is probably at home on nearly every single one of the, the operations of so folks tuning in today. Diesel engine technology. It's been with us a long time, but the technology there just keeps improving. And importantly, it's still what we use to get nearly everything moved, not just around the country, but around the world. Fantastic new study recently released by the Diesel Technology Forum shows that 57% of all commercial diesel trucks on the road are near zero emissions models. What does that mean? Great question. Well, to answer it, we're going to be talking next with Alan Schaefer. He's the executive director at the Diesel Technology Forum. And Alan, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us this year. Great to be with you, Mike. Let's dig into this study. 57% of all commercial diesel trucks on the roads are near zero emissions models. Alan, what does near zero emissions mean? That's right. Uh, near zero means uh, any truck that's been manufactured after 2010 contains the latest package of advanced diesel technology. So that means that it's got a particulate filter and has selective catalytic reduction um, systems on board as well. That's kind of a fancy uh, description of really the most advanced emissions control technology of any kind of vehicle on the road. And Working together, those two things virtually eliminate the tailpipe emissions uh, of, of diesel trucks and as well as farm and, uh, and other equipment uh, as well. 
Absolutely. I mean, this technology, I, I think we've seen it really develop first in trucking, but it has spread everywhere. And Alan, it's it's increasing. It's spread. Can you talk about the jump in purchases from 2021 into 2022? I can. Well, we looked at the registration data around the country over the last uh, seven or eight years, and this is a uh, the results of that effort. We're looking at the end of 2022. So um, that's our demarcation point here, but we saw a 10% increase uh, over last year. So what that tells us is more truckers are investing in the newest generation of diesel um, than, uh, than ever before. And uh, that's good news in terms of a couple of things. One, uh, the new trucks out there are more fuel efficient and are getting you know substantial increases in, in miles per gallon over some previous generations of technology um, and number two is that because they're near zero emissions you know of course they're very good for um, maintaining our air quality and also uh, helping to mitigate the impacts of climate change now alan if if somebody is not connected to the world of freight or trucking and they've just been watching the headlines it might be hard to believe that diesel fuel technology is still with us given all the focus on electricity here over the past two years when you think of the the importance of diesel to trucking what percentage of trucks are still out there running on diesel engines right now well you're right mike we are hearing a lot in the news about zero emission vehicles or all electric trucks but uh, honestly um, the industry really still relies uh, substantially on diesel. 76% um, of every commercial truck um, from the smallest box truck up to the biggest tractor trailer um, is still powered by diesel today. And if you look at just the big rigs, the tractor trailer size trucks, it's 97% of those are powered by diesel. So uh, we are hearing a lot about some of the new technologies, but um, just to drop a statistic on you, there's 125 times more of the new generation advanced diesel trucks on the road in California uh, than there are electric trucks. So it's still the dominant technology that moves our economy today. It's the dominant technology. And what strikes me is that truckers are making big investments in this technology for the future. Alan, what's the life expectancy of a new diesel engine here in 2023? Easily expecting uh, over a million miles in durability. So you've got, uh, you know, an engine that's got great uh, proven uh, capabilities and with uh, the proper maintenance and care and feeding, you know, it's uh, not unusual for these engines to, to get over a million miles. So you're looking at, you know, depending on how many miles you're running a year, um, you know, 10 to 12 years out of that uh, out of that engine before you're into major investments for rebuilding or, or overhaul. So it's it's a it's a big investment up front, but it's one that pays you back over time with its uh, durability and and the new generation's uh, greater fuel economy. That's right, saving some money every time you get to the pump. Now, Alan, I, I'm curious about the, uh, the the growth that you're seeing here, not just in the 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 technology that physically attaches to the engines, the, the the converters and all of that that's cleaning the diesel, but also the technology on the feedstock side. Of course, we talk about renewable diesel, biodiesel a lot from an ag perspective. Recently saw the EPA perhaps think that industry is going to grow more slowly than a lot of folks I talked to had thought. What's your perception from the industry's perspective of, of uh, diesel engine manufacturing? Well, first of all, all the diesel engine manufacturers fully endorse the use of advanced renewable biofuels in their products. And so every manufacturer is comfortable with a 20% blend of, of biodiesel and 80% blend of ultra-low sulfur diesel. Um, with regards to the recent action by EPA, I think uh, everyone was disappointed in that, frankly, because it really didn't reflect uh, what the capabilities of industry were in producing some of these newer fuels. And uh, it's you know really misaligned with some of the current uh, current conditions. I think um, you know we've seen a 30% increase um, in the first few months of of, of last year and this year um, uh, more than that over 400 million gallons. Um, and the short-term energy outlook from the, the Department of Energy projects the production of biodiesel and the renewable diesel fuel of more than 800 million gallons this year and 900 million. Uh, more next year. So um, we, we see a lot of different projections and forecasts out there that say this industry is poised to grow and deliver more of these high quality renewable fuels that help us uh, reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. Um, but uh, EPA's volume standards and the renewable fuels decisions they made back in uh, in June really are not in sync with that. So um, we'll have to see when, how that shakes out. But I think 
you know, the trend for, for everyone is thinking about what can we do now to reduce emissions of greenhouse gases. And one of the most available and uh, performing uh, kind of solutions is the reuse of renewable biofuels in, in our existing fleet, the vast fleet of, you know, tens of thousands of, uh, of heavy duty diesel trucks or just small, you know, utility trucks, even on the farm. I mean, using 20% uh, biodiesel in those vehicles really helps cut greenhouse gas emissions and, and others by a significant amount. So uh, it's something easy everyone can do. It's more affordable than, uh, than what uh, folks are calling for with uh, electrification of trucks and other things. So um, we see a really strong future for renewable biofuels here in the U.S. Um, we just need the kind of government policies that, that help us get there. Alan, I think that was going to be my next question. I hear from my friends in the ethanol side of the biofuel industry that they're worried that the EPA is putting their foot on the scale in favor of electric vehicles. Does that hold true from the diesel uh, engine manufacturer's perspective as well? Are you seeing policy implications that overly benefit uh, electric manufacturers, maybe at the expense of diesel producers? Well, we are in kind of a, a an odd time, one of a great great transitions uh, in some senses. I think all of the truck and engine manufacturers have committed to uh, zero emission vehicles. And there are many of them have some of those offerings available today in select parts of the country. Um, so it, that is that is definitely a technology that's, that's going to be more emergent in the coming years. Um, we also know that diesel is going to be around uh, quite a long time, which is why it's important to continue to invest in making that technology more efficient and one of the best things we can do is to accelerate the turnover of the existing fleet. And that means getting rid of the oldest trucks that are out there and replacing them with something newer. It doesn't necessarily have to be the brand new truck 2023 model, but if you've got something that's built before 2010, it's uh, not equipped with all the latest bells and whistles for reducing emissions. So I think we would like to see, you know, a more balanced approach uh, coming out for um, letting all these technologies play and let, let the truckers and the farmers decide which ones make the most sense for them. And certainly government has been pushing electrification uh, for some time. But I think, you know, as we all recognize, that's not a one size uh, fits all kind of a solution uh, because climate change is really not a not a one size uh, fits all kind of problem. So we've we've got a lot of work to do to make sure that uh, the most solutions are available to folks that uh, are the ones that are going to have to implement those. So um, we're just uh, thoughtful about the uh, the future for uh, good government policy and uh, getting the renewable fuels uh, standard right is is key. And giving a technology neutral approach is, is another key. Alan, getting the age of the fleet moved up, what do you think from a policy perspective would be the best way to encourage truckers to update those those rigs and get the, the newer, more efficient uh, engines out there on the on the highways? Sure. Well, for the last, gosh, three years at least, there's been an effort in, in Washington on Capitol Hill in Congress to try and get a repeal of the federal excise tax. This is a 12% tax that's been levied on new purchases of, of commercial trucks. And so if you're you know, in the market for a new $120,000 um, truck tractor, you know, you're going to pay a 12% excise, federal excise tax on top of that. And that's that's enough to really uh, deter people from making that additional investment. So a repeal of that excise tax would really, we think, spurn investment in new technology and help accelerate the turnover of that. So um, there is uh, legislation in both the House and the Senate now that is being considered. Um, the prospects for its success, I think, are, you know, still waiting to see kind of what happens. It's a challenging time in the in the political world. Uh, getting things done, but um, there is definitely a, a, an interest in that from a growing number of members of Congress. All right, folks, if that's something that would improve your operation or your business, get active. You can be plugged in, maybe save 12% when you go to buy a new rig. We've been talking today with Alan Schaefer, the executive director of the Diesel Technology Forum. Alan, you've got a ton of research on the Diesel Technology Forum's website. Tell our listeners where they can go to get it. That's uh, www.dieselforum.org dieselforum.org. Alan Schaefer, thank you so much for joining us today and filling us in on the diesel industry. Great to be with you, Mike. Have a good day. You as well. And folks, stay with us. We'll have more AOA coming up here in just a minute. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA 
Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. On the first Wednesday of every month, we sit down with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association for a segment we call the Monthly Grind. We like to look into the uses for that corn crop once it leaves your farm. Joining us this week for the Monthly Grind, we're going to be talking with Troy Schneider of Colorado and Denny Vinacotter, corn grower from Ohio. Troy, I understand you've got a road trip coming up in the next couple of weeks. Where are you headed? Not only myself, but about 100 other team members from the seven action teams at National Corn Growers Association will be going to Washington, D.C., July 17th through the 20th for Corn Congress. 17th and 18th, we have action team meetings. And the 19th, we'll be going to the Hill to visit legislators. And then on the 20th, we will have Corn Congress where we conduct business twice a year. Denny, no doubt you'll be talking about the Consider Corn Challenge. Can you fill us in? So we have 20 entries in it, biomaterial products, different technologies that will use corn in a different way than animal feed. Thank you, Denny and Troy. Folks, learn more at ncga.com and tune in July 18th for the next Monthly Grind. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. 
That's 800-209-6416. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know we spend a lot of time discussing agricultural policy. We talk about the decisions that are issued in Washington, D.C. and state capitals across the country. And oftentimes, ag policy, while essential, can be a somewhat sleepy topic. That's not the case this year over in Europe. Over the past 18 months, we've been tracking here on AOA some of the proposals in the Netherlands as a way to cut down greenhouse gas emissions. Most notably, that government has said they are looking to buy out livestock producers, largely dairies and pork producers, and then close those farms in a bid to improve or lessen the impact of livestock emissions. Well, the amount of policies uh, with regard to that move in the Netherlands has created quite a bit of pushback. Back in March, there was a preliminary polling that was done for the next Dutch election and a protest party comprised of farmers called the BBB, Dutch for the Farmer Citizen Movement, has really climbed a lot of polls and it has looked to win more Senate seats than the current Prime Minister's conservative VVD party. I mentioned all of this is a long setup because early Monday morning, Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte, or Rutte, resigned. He is the longest-serving minister in a prime minister in the history of the Netherlands, and his resignation is being prompted by the pushback over the farm policy being pursued in the Netherlands. Now, there there is currently a four-party government running the Netherlands. The it has now collapsed, so there is no legislation pending at the moment. There will be a lot of interest to see who comes forward in a government to lead the Netherlands and what that country will do with those ag policies they've proposed. Most notably, they've announced shutting down 3,000 farms in a bid to lessen livestock emissions. Will that policy continue now that the prime minister who's been pushing for it has resigned? Time will tell. We'll continue to keep up to date on this story. I've spoken with several friends over in Europe. A lot of people now are still trying to make sense of the ramifications of his resignation. But as the days go on, we'll get more information. We'll be able to see more how this could impact longer term. Bringing it back to the United States, we do have some ag policy to discuss here in this country. We had back in May the Proposition 12 decision by the Supreme Court of the U.S. They ruled in favor of Proposition 12, granting states the right to determine what products are sold inside their borders or the requirements for raising the products that are going to be sold inside their borders. Prop 12, of course, requires pork to be raised, come from from animals raised from sows that have enough space in their pen to turn around 24 uh, square feet. Well, of course, that impacts production in other parts of the country, and that has those legislators frustrated. In Iowa, one of the nation's largest pork producers, two legislators in Congress, uh, Ashley Hinson and Zach Nunn in the House of Representatives, have introduced the Ending Agricultural Trade Suppression, or the EATS, Act into the House. Now, this is a bill that would prevent state and local governments from imposing rules on the pre-harvest production of any agricultural products sold in other states. Now, there has been a companion bill introduced in the Senate. That one is coming from Kansas Republican Roger Marshall and was co-sponsored by Iowa Republicans uh, Joni Ernst and Chuck Grassley. Of course, given the preponderance of pork in Iowa, that explains the participation of so many of the Iowa congressional delegation, whether or not this will have the votes it needs to make it through both the House and the Senate. It seems unlikely at this point, though those conversations, as I mentioned, are just beginning right now. Looking out to other issues that could be moving the ag industry, we're still talking about that Black Sea grain deal. Now, it's not much to talk about. No ports or no ships have been inspected since June 26, so there has been no grain coming out of that deal. However, Turkey is still pushing 
for an extension. Turkish President uh, Erdogan said earlier, uh, excuse me, late on Friday that he is hopeful for an extension of the grain deal. Uh, this is something that a lot of countries, particularly through the Middle East and Africa, would like to see. They have been active and long-term buyers of wheat from the Black Sea, particularly from, Europe, uh, from Russia. So they are really hoping to keep those trade lines open. However, as we've heard uh, so many times from different analysts on this program, there just might not be enough crops to harvest and export coming out of the Black Sea region as we get deeper into 2023, given both the fallout from the war, the higher prices in that part of the world, and of course, the lack of fuel for some parts as they were trying to get into planting season late in 2022. There's more to come in the world of market news this week. Of course, on Wednesday, we will be getting the July edition of the World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. Now, the big question for the July WASDE report will be the yield estimate in corn. Uh, as Todd Holtman over at DTN notes, the last time that USDA changed a corn yield estimate in the July WASDE report was, guess what year? 2012. That's right. The severe drought of 2012, of course, was really gripping the country by the time we got to 4th of July. So USDA did lower the corn yield. Back then, they were expecting 166 bushels per acre. But in July, they dropped it all the way back to 146 bushels. Remember, that was a big, bold move. Todd does anticipate that USDA might lower the corn estimate similarly this year based on the expanse of the dryness early in the growing season, though he's not anticipating the drop in yield expectations to be as severe as it was back in 2012, given that we have had more moisture in recent weeks start to come across the Corn Belt. In soybeans, the big question for the soybean uh, crop analysts will be, what do we do with this lower than expected planting acreage? Remember, USDA two weeks ago said U.S. farmers only put 83.5 million acres in the ground. That's down from what the trade was anticipating, close to 87 million acres. So how are these different analysts and how are the USDA going to incorporate this much tighter acreage figure into their balance sheets could definitely cause some fireworks as we get down towards 11 a.m. Central Time on Thursday. That is when the USDA releases these reports. It will be interesting to see just how this plays out as we get deeper into the week. Folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll be talking ag policy in more detail here on AOA. We'll also get an update on what happened there in Europe. We'll be sure to provide that as well. Thanks for listening and have a great day, everyone. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. We have some exciting news to share. The National Corn Growers Association, along with AOA, are heading back to Washington, D.C. for the monthly grind. Tune in on Tuesday, July 18th for our special one-year anniversary episode. I'll be broadcasting live from Corn Congress in Washington, D.C., and we'll be reflecting on the year and what's ahead, along with current priorities of NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Make sure to listen to AOA on Tuesday, July 18th. It's a show you don't want to miss. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. 
If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.